In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. How many of you have seen the front page of the Florida Times Union this morning? Raise your hand. Oof. The Florida Times Union isn't doing very well. <laughs> this is what it says in big, bold letters. Biblical destruction. Biblical destruction. Of course, they're reporting on everything that has happened with Hurricane Ian throughout our state of Florida and the devastation, the absolute devastation. Particularly, as you all are hearing, the island of Sanibel. My, my grandmother lived there for many years. Sanibel Island is in terrible shape. And yet we, here in Jacksonville, we were spared, weren't we? My sons and I slept at the cathedral for a couple of nights. We, we just do that. We want to make sure everything's okay. So I sat in this sanctuary as the winds were pounding, wondering, like you all wondered, are we going to be okay? Is our power going to go out? Is a tree going to fall on our car? Will we be able to go back to work? We're so fragile and so powerless, aren't we? And even more difficult are the questions that arise. For if you believe in God, and if you understand that God is the creator of the whole universe, who is in fact omnipotent, then eventually all of us will ask the question, why? Why Sanibel and not Jacksonville? Did God take a finger and point the way of the storm so that certain places were devastated and others were spared? <clears throat> Did the people of Sanibel behave badly? Did they make more mistakes than we make here in Jacksonville? These are the inevitable questions that face every human being who believes in God. Why do we have to suffer, and why do certain people suffer more than others? Why? Job asked this very same question after his whole life was destroyed. He lost all of his property, all of his children died, his wife died, and he ended up literally sitting in the dirt, asking God, why? And in the scripture that we heard Susan read this morning, God answers. God gives us a good, solid answer. But it is an incredibly frustrating, 
unsatisfying answer. God answers Job's question why by saying, you do not have the capacity to understand. You, as a human being, you were not present when I formed the stars in the sky at the beginning of creation. You, as a human being, do not understand why I grow the grass in certain ways and in different ways on different sides of the slope. Why the ostrich lays her egg to be warmed but doesn't worry about it being trampled by animals. Your brains are too small. I cannot answer you because you cannot contain the answer. Instead, you must continue to live into the questions until you come to me. But I want to say, no fair. Oh, and God continues to say to, to Job, when you try to answer the questions, you do damage. Think about it. Whenever we say, oh, they behaved worse than them, God is punishing you, we hurt each other, don't we? Whenever we think we understand the truth about God, we do damage to one another. So we have to remain humble in the understanding that there is no answer for us to hold on to in this life. Just like we cannot hold on to our homes or our loved ones or anything else in this world. It takes a lifetime to awaken enough to live the questions. But there was a man born over a thousand years ago who was in many ways, other than Jesus, the closest example we have to someone who knew how to be awake. You see, God isn't asking us to have all the answers, but God is asking us to be awake and aware and fully alive in this world. To get ready for Hurricane Ian, I brought my plants inside along with my statues, and I have two statues of St. Francis in my garden. One is a lot heavier than the other, I realized. Do, all, do some of you have a St. Francis statue in your garden? Some of you? We love to put St. Francis in our garden and to think about how we love the pets, it's all very sweet. But Francis was much more than that. Francis was an awakened human being, and as such, he was a powerhouse. You know, he stood at probably only about four feet high. The son of a cloth merchant, he was very wealthy when he was born and raised. He enjoyed parties and drinking and women. He had a good time. 
And then he went off to war and he saw physical brutality and violence and that began to wake him up. He was very troubled. After he left the army, he then became very ill to the point of death and illness also helped to wake him up. It's a strange thing in the human condition, but sometimes our greatest struggles wake us up more than anything else. Francis heard God saying, rebuild my church. So he started selling off his father's clothes and materials and cloth. And his father got mad and said, what are you doing selling my stuff? So Francis met his father in the town square and he stripped naked and he gave everything to his father. He said, you take it. Take our business. Take the family wealth. Take the clothes off my back. I'm going to let go of everything and I'm going to try to live my life differently. At about four feet high, he started begging for food, so he ended up being pretty skinny. But in not having any possessions, something interesting happened to Francis. He became more acutely aware of every moment of his life, more awake. He had no schedule, he had no iPhone or Palm Pilot, he could react to each thing that, that he encountered as it occurred to him in his life. He would walk through a field of flowers and find it so beautiful that he would weep with tears of joy. He could go into states of ecstasy. People thought he was crazy. They'd try to talk to him and he couldn't hear them because he was so overwhelmed with the beauty of nature. He talked to the birds as if they could understand him. He wrote a poem to Sister Moon and Brother Sun. People started flocking to him by the hundreds and then the thousands. So the Pope said, let's make an order for St. Francis and all these monks. And Francis said, oh no, please. I don't want structure. I don't want institution. I don't want anything. Just let me be free and pray to God. But people kept on following him everywhere because he radiated light. Francis kept praying and in the year 1219, Francis heard God telling him to go to Egypt. Now the Crusades were waging. You know that great war that occurred between Christians and Muslims where they both thought they had the answers from God and they thought that if they killed each other or converted each other, it would all be good. Guess how that went? So the Christian soldiers were sieging upon a Muslim fortress in Egypt. It was a bloodbath. There were men dead all over the field. Little Francis in his brown robe brought his friend Illuminatio, who sounded like a very shy guy, because I'd never heard him 
speak in any of the writings. Francis and Illuminatio, without any weapons, of course, or any belongings, walked quietly across this bloodied field of bodies all the way into the fortress where the Muslims were. They walked all the way into the Sultan himself. Legend has it that little Francis talked with the Sultan for at least three days. No one knows exactly what the two men said to each other. There's some agreement among scholars about a few things. Francis talked to the Sultan about how much he loved Jesus, and the Sultan, by the end of their visit, said, you know, I think I really love Jesus too, but I can't be baptized because all these Christian guys are trying to kill my men. That sounds practical. Scholars also agree that Francis admired greatly how the Sultan prayed five times a day. The Sultan also offered Francis a lot of jewels and riches and treasure, and Francis said, no way, are you kidding? I don't want any of that stuff. And the Sultan was deeply moved and impressed by that. We also know that Francis thought he understood what God wanted of him. He thought that he was going to die. He thought that he would be killed by going in amongst this war. And he was ready for that. He wasn't even holding on to his own life. He was willing to be a martyr. But the sultan didn't want to kill him. The sultan liked him. And so he was set free to return to his homeland. And Francis was full of questions. I thought I was supposed to be a martyr. God, I don't understand. He died not understanding what he had done. But now we understand that it was the first peaceful interfaith dialogue that we know of in the history of the world. That he showed us a path of peace. Francis would die at the age of 40, but before he died, he asked another friend to stand guard so that he could keep the people at bay. And Francis went into a little hut to pray by himself for days and days. And as he prayed, these holes appeared in his wrists. Blood began to ooze out of his wrists where Jesus had been wounded. No one had ever seen anything like this. We now have seen it happen in other saints, but Francis was the first, so there was no words for it. Now we call it the stigmata. It is when someone is so devout, so in tune with the suffering of Christ that they actually take upon Christ's wounds on their body. Francis died young. Without answers to questions, without understanding much, but he lived his life free and awake and aware. And 1,000 years later, we are still learning from him.
You know, in the Christian tradition, we say that our saints, they walk ahead of us. They are better at following Jesus than we are, but we can look to them and we can take a few steps towards them. So as I was lifting my St. Francis statue and bringing it out into my little garden, I thought to myself, how can I be more like you, Francis? What would you say to us here in this country where we've amassed so much wealth and belongings, where we're so frightened all the time? I think perhaps one thing we could do is to simplify our lives a bit, to take a step in that direction. At the 8 o'clock service, a woman who works down around the Fort Myers area says she's identified 15 families whose homes were totally destroyed, all of them with children. Maybe we can adopt those families. Maybe we can let this flow of generosity that God has blessed us let us bless them. Maybe we can eat a little less, drive a little less, buy a little less, give a little more, plant a little more. Maybe we can stop sometime when we're outside and just look at the things that God has made. Maybe we can hold on a little less, let go a little more, and not be afraid to die. Francis was free. Maybe we can get a little bit more free. And like Francis, live without all the answers, but live freely into the wonder and the questions and the mysteries of this beautiful, precious life that we have been given. Amen.